You're listening to a message from Ogden Church, a gospel-centered ministry for all people. We hope during the next few minutes you gain a better understanding of God's love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Glad that you're here with us. We concluded our series last week in Ecclesiastes and are going to be starting a series out of the book of Philippians, thinking about and focusing on joy, what that means, why it's significant, how we can have it in the midst of challenge. This is a fascinating and beautiful book, actually, because the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He is in bondage, he's in chains, and he's writing to a group of people in the city of Philippi, and they actually are under persecution as well. Many of them have been arrested and put in prison, in particular because of their faith. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to be going right after in chapter 1 is that we need all of what the gospel has for us. Many of us just want a little bit. We want some of the gospel, but not so much that it changes our lives. Don Carson, in his commentary on Philippians, wrote this sarcastically about what we often want when we ask God for the gospel. He says this, I'd like to buy about $3 worth of the gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy. But not so much that I get addicted to it. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetedness, covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies and cherish self-denial and contemplate missionary service in some alien country. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races or different perspectives. Here we go. It's starting to go down. This mic, we've talked about it. We're working on it. Here we go. Just be super still. Okay, really? All right. Hang on one second. Check. Hopefully we'll be getting back on board. All right. Nope. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of gospel, please. You see, the gospel must be central. And when I say the gospel, I'm talking about how, how Tim Keller would describe it, 
The gospel says that you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope for. You see, we're, we're broken, and the gospel must be central in our lives. The gospel must be central in three areas that the Apostle Paul is going to take us through. Must be central in suffering. When we suffer, we need the gospel. When we receive slander towards ourselves, when people speak negatively about us and to us and to other people, we need the gospel. And we need the gospel in self-denial. As we try to turn away from the things of the world and focus on God, we need his gospel. In verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul starts to talk about this after some introductory statements. This is what he says. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that everyone else, and, and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The Apostle Paul says, I'm in chains, and I know that may be distressing for you, but God is using my chains so that other people can have confidence in Christ. Because the Apostle Paul doesn't just run away from his faith when things get difficult, when life turns hard, when he's put in prison, he says, this is the only thing that matters. This is what my life is about. When other people see that, they say, I want that too. They see his motivation. It's the sacrifice of Jesus. And because that means everything to him, nothing will deter him. And people see that he won't be put off. He will not give up the fight. And they think, if he's willing to go through that pain, there must be something to what he believes. His faith has to be meaningful because he's willing to suffer for it. My family and I uh, take some long trips up north every time, from time to time, and when we're on these trips, I often try to think of some meaningful thing that I can have my kids listen to on the way up there. Captive audience, we have like six hours in the car. Let's uh, try to be productive here. That doesn't last very long, often. But I, I thought this last trip, I was like, let's listen to Pilgrim's Progress, this incredible book, this allegory that is written to help people understand the journey of faith. And we listened to it for a little while. They gave me that grace in the car. So they listened to it for a little bit, and it struck me as the main character in Pilgrim's Progress is a man named Christian. And somebody comes to him, evangelist, the man who's trying to share the gospel truth of Jesus with him. He comes to him, and all of a sudden, Christian realizes he's been carrying around this huge burden, which is his sin. 
and he knows, I, I can't do this any longer. I need help. I need someone to deal with this sin. I can't deal with it myself. I need this burden to be released from me. So he sets out on this journey to go to a place where the maker of all things can take his burden from him. On his way, he, he meets a guy named Pliable. He, he sort of, it, all the names mean basically what the people are like. And so Pliable, he ends up just sort of going with the flow. Whatever sounds good at the time. And Christian says, I'm going to the celestial city. I'm going to this place. It's going to be incredible. There's streets of gold. You want to go with me? And Pliable's like, that sounds awesome. This sounds great. I'm in. They start on their journey and they fall into the swamp of despond. They get overwhelmed with the troubles and trials of this world. And Pliable in the swamp says, this is not the streets of gold you promised me. I thought we were going to be having a good time with this creator, this maker. Where is he? This is hard. And he turns around and he runs home. But Christian cries out for help. Help is given. And he presses on. Why? What's the difference between these two characters? The difference is pliable is motivated out of self-interest and joy. He wants, he wants what's best for him. But Christian sees his burden and knows he needs help to deal with it. And out of a place of understanding, look, I am so utterly broken that I need the, the creator of all things to fix this issue. He's willing to press through challenge because it's not about the challenge. It's about him having this deep problem dealt with. You see, Many of us step toward a relationship with God thinking, oh, well, if I just make this agreement with him, then my life will be easier, my life will be better. If that is our attitude, the depth of the gospel will be missing from our hearts, and when the hard times come, and they will, we'll run away, we'll be afraid. But if we say, God, I need you. I want you. And say, I am so broken, yet I need your love and forgiveness. Then we will see and experience deep, true faith where the roots of the love of God grow deep into our hearts. We need the gospel in suffering. We need it in slander Verses 15 through 18, this is how the apostle continues as he's in prison writing. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I, while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, 
whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. There are people at this time, while Paul is in prison, that are saying very negative things about him. They're also Christians. They're also preaching the gospel, but they're saying, well, there must be something wrong, you know, maybe with Paul because he's in jail right now. And, I, and I'm free. And, and they're, they're preaching the same message, but they're taking shots at each other. And he gets these reports, and in his letter, he references them. He's like, there's a lot of people sharing Christ right now. There's a lot of different messages and preachers. But what he says is that it doesn't matter what their motive is. The focus needs to be on sharing the message of Christ. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. That's distracting. Thank you. Well, that's easier. Look at that. How about that? You know, it's easy for us to take shots at each other, for us to find ourselves in a place where we think, all right, if, if I just put somebody else down a little bit, I'll feel better about myself. A natural human thing. But Paul says, look, I don't care if somebody's slandering me, speaking negatively about me, the only thing that matters, the most important thing that there is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being shared. Now, he's, he's not talking about heretical things. There are heresies out there, and that's not okay. It's not good for people to be focusing on things that aren't the gospel, but the Apostle Paul says, look, yeah, there's... There's some people that are trying to stir up trouble for me, but I can rejoice. I can rejoice because the gospel is being shared. When I was in seminary, I went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. While I was there, I started to intern at Willow Creek uh, Community Church. And I, I'm there, and I'm in my seminary classes, and people would ask questions to find out more about each other. We'd say, hey, what church are you serving at? Where, you know, where do you go? And I would tell people, well, I'm, you know, I'm an intern at, at Willow Creek. It's this giant church that sort of pioneered the seeker movement. It was just a really effective way of, of reaching into society and community and sharing the gospel. But there were many people, and actually now, you know, I see some of these critical thoughts that, you know, some of it's very accurate. But I remember being in seminary and people would say, whoa, you, you work at that church? You, you serve as an intern at Willow Creek? So much so that my nickname in seminary was Willow Creek. They called me Willow Creek. They'd see me and be like, hey, Willow, come over here and hang out with us. It was just super interesting to me. And I remember at the time feeling strange about it. Like, oh man, that doesn't seem quite right. But what I also see in myself is I can be pretty judgmental of other people sometimes. Especially as I've, as I've grown in, in ministry and continue to kind of hone my thoughts about healthy ways to share the gospel, the, the best ways 
to share the gospel, I can sometimes listen to other preachers and pastors and look at other churches and be like, oh man, they miss it here. But what would it look like if, if we, in our hearts, stopped looking at other people and saying, okay, what are they doing wrong or what are they doing right? And thinking, is the gospel present? You see, the Apostle Paul doesn't care about what people are saying about him. All he cares about is the message of Christ. That is his central focus of everything. They may be trashing him. They, might, they may not say nice things about you or me on Facebook. But the only thing that really gives me joy is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that is completely central, all this background stuff just becomes static and noise that is insignificant in the light of God's glory, who he is. I love that song, just because he lives, I can face tomorrow. The gospel must be central in self-denial. Here we go from the next chunk of verses we're going to look at through verse 26. The second part of verse 18 says this, yes, I will continue to rejoice. He talks about rejoicing twice. He's in pain. He's in suffering. He's in prison. People are saying bad things about him, and yet here he goes. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. If I go, it's better. It's better for me. I'm with Jesus. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. The Apostle Paul says, look, I... I know that being with Jesus is better. That's better for me. But for you, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to continue to be here. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Being willing to say my life is about other people. I will choose to sacrifice 
because Jesus sacrificed for me. He doesn't say, I'm just going to choose what's best or easiest for me. He gives of himself. The Apostle Paul loved the church at Philippi, and he writes this letter to say, I will sacrifice for you because I love you. Sacrifice is something that doesn't come easy to us. It's not a natural thing. It's something we need to dig deep for. I've spent a lot of time this past week reflecting on the life of my father-in-law, Don Neuroth, who passed away this past Monday. And as I've thought about self-denial and willingness to serve other people, his life is a beautiful example of that. He would always give of himself to serve other people. He would show up when people were in times of need. He owned more vehicles than he need, but needed, but they were loaned to people who needed help. I got to chatting with Kendall Holsoppel, his, his partner on the farm. And Kendall likes to be very organized, and he would watch Don loan out all of his equipment. And my father-in-law would send this beautiful new covered trailer with somebody so that they could move their family into a new house. And it would come back, and Kendall would see some nicks on the side of the trailer, and he would not be very pleased. And he said that Don would simply say to him, it's all stuff. God has blessed me so that I can be a blessing to others. You see, when Jesus is truly your treasure, when he is the thing that is the eternal gift that you have, then the rest of it becomes something that we can share, we can put ourselves behind to lift others up. You see, but Don didn't just do this because he was a nice guy. He loved the people around him because he knew he was loved by Christ. The God of the universe laid down his life so that we could be set free so we are called to lay down our lives to serve and love others. Now, this has been a particularly challenging few months here at the church. We've had a lot of tragedy in the lives of different people. And in God's providence, in God's wisdom, he had us going through Ecclesiastes together, which reminds us of the meaninglessness of life. And then now we're heading into Philippians to think about joy. And this stuck out to me. Listen to how he ends chapter 1, starting in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way 
by those who oppose you? This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved. And that by God. Now listen to this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Our faith, it has been granted to you to believe in him and also to suffer for him. Suffering as a gift. How? How can suffering be a gift? You know, last, last week, I was in the office and I was talking to the staff and I said, man, I just, I just don't know. Like, it feels heavy, all the things that are going on, all the pain that people are going through. And, and I literally, and this was sort of in a, in a moment of you know, vulnerability, I said, man, if, if one more thing happens, I feel like I'm just going to be torn in two. Like, it's just going to be ripped up. Then I jump into chapter one. And I'm like, how can I think about suffering as a gift? Last week, I said, hey, I might, I might feel like I'm just going to be torn in two. It's too heavy. This is really tough right now. God gives us this chapter to reflect on together. And as I'm thinking about suffering as a gift, I came across this article. On the Desiring God, John Piper's website, this article was published. And this is what Vanitha Rendo Reisner wrote. I have come to see that this life is like wrapping paper and ribbons. We want our lives to look beautiful. We spend our energy making sure they are. This wrapping is what we see and touch and experience, both the tangible and the intangible. It includes our families, our friends, our homes, our accomplishments, our physical appearance, our money, our gifts, all the pursuits we spend time on, appreciate, and invest in. God wants us to enjoy these gifts, which are from him, though none is permanent or indestructible. And she writes this, suffering tears the wrapping paper, and the process permanently changes us. Life as we know it may never be restored, and we appropriately mourn what we have lost. We look to the torn paper longingly, wishing that we could at least tape it back together. We look at other people's intact paper and shining ribbons and wonder why ours is, have been so damaged, sometimes almost shredded. It doesn't seem fair. We're tempted, we're tempted to wonder what we've done. But as we sit with our torn paper, we begin to realize that the paper wasn't an end in itself. It was only temporary, never meant to last forever. Like our earthly tents, which are not permanent dwellings, we know we will deal with pain and loss until our true home in heaven. 
While the paper was once our focus, when it rips, we notice that there's something more. We see that the paper, whether beautiful or plain, was just there to unfold the gift. The gift is the item of supreme value. And the torn paper enables us, perhaps for the first time, to notice it. Even a glimpse of this gift is breathtaking. While the wrapping paper had an important purpose, it fades when we see the unparalleled beauty of the gift. The gift is God himself, the only treasure that will last. See that you may not be going through suffering right now, but you will. And when you do, the paper will be torn. All of the temporary things we focus on, they will fade. And when that happens, instead of grieving over the brokenness and pain of losing a gift, let when the paper is torn and the pain comes, cause you to turn your eyes to heaven and long for something eternal when this world reveals to you that it's temporary. You see, pain is a gift because it reveals the true gift of God. Pain causes the prodigal son to return to his father. Pain drives us to our knees in real need for God. So yes, we see pain as not just something to avoid at all costs, but truly a gift that allows us to see our deep need for Jesus and cling to him. Is the gospel central in your life as you experience suffering, slander, or struggle with self-denial? Let us come to the cross and see how Jesus sacrificed for us so that we can live into what it means to value the true gift and not just focus on the wrapping paper. Let's pray together and then we'll close. God, thank you for the gift of who you are, for how you love us. Father, I pray for all of the people that maybe are going through suffering, that they would recognize that the tearing of the paper around our lives is not an end in itself, but you, God, are the goal. Help us to see the gift for what it is. When others slander us and they say things that maybe they shouldn't, or we, we're tempted to slander another, help us to turn back to you and say, God, you are my only hope. Father, I... I pray that as we struggle with self-denial, by your spirit, you would remind our hearts that the gospel is the only thing that is central and can be central in our lives. Draw us close to you. Bind up our wounds. Heal our broken hearts. But give us hope that is eternal, not temporary, in a world that is broken. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11 a.m. If you'd like any more information about Ogden Church, just visit our website at ogdenchurch.org or Facebook.